This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. We're here today with our returning champion. Yes. Dr. Nicole LaPera is here, and on the occasion of her new book, How to Do... The work. I'll hold this up if you're watching this on YouTube. Nicole, thanks for being here today. Joshua Ryan, thank you for having me back. I'll tell you what, uh, we were lucky. Our blurb made the back of the book. Yeah, man. And so I thought I would start with this because during this minimal episode, I want to talk about healing today uh, since I think that is a central theme of the book. There are obviously other components I want to talk about, but on the maximal episode, I, I thought we would really dive into understanding trauma and the ego and, and also setting boundaries, maybe getting into some yeah. boundary setting as well and cover that, uh, what is discussed in the book here. But mm. we'll start with this blurb on the back of the book. It says, on the surface, Dr. LaPera's book appears to be a how-to manual, but at its fundament, it's a book about understanding the self, for it is only when we deeply understand that we're able to heal. Yeah. And the reason this book, yes, it, it is called How to Do the Work, but it's not necessarily a how-to manual in, in that sense. And I love that because Ryan and I often use the Trojan horse of minimalism to discuss a, a whole bunch of other things, right? And for you, it's like, of course, people, uh, Kapil Gupta says we are smitten with prescriptions. We always want to know the how-to side of things. Yeah. And you have that in here for sure. You, you talk about some steps that people can take to heal, to do the work, right? But also, it, it's, I think fundamentally, it's about understanding. It's not just about aimlessly doing action. Mm. And so what prompted you to write this book and, and help people with that understanding? What prompted me to write the book actually was coming from the depths of disempowerment. Um, for myself as a human and, and for my clients. So I was several years into a private practice. Um, I was working in the modality I learned, providing talk therapy. On the other side of things, as a human, I'm someone, as long as I can remember, I've struggled with anxiety. Mm. Really hit its peak in the 20s where I met my first panic attack, which mm. for those of us who know and have experienced those are yeah. quite a nightmare. Yeah. So I've been on both sides um, in the room, of, on the couch, if you will, and the practitioner. Mm. And what I came to see, not only evidence in my own life, but in many of my clients week after week, year after year, was stuckness. Mm. Incredible amounts. Um, it's interesting you kind of brought this idea, this concept of knowing and doing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot about that because what I started to see and experience myself was increasing amounts of knowing, of insight, beautiful sessions with humans who were able to piece together patterns that weren't working, habits that they want to break, even game planning for how to do things differently in a future time. Mm -hmm. Yet what I continue to find is stuckness. We kept repeating those patterns. We couldn't build the bridge, mm. if you will, from knowing better to doing differently in mm -hmm. life. So for me, it was curiosity at first, me mm -hmm. trying to understand myself, if you will, as a human a bit better, understand why, despite having tools, despite being in treatment, 
I still wasn't able to get better, then of course I wasn't able to help my clients mm-hmm. as well. So through that you know, curious exploration, I was met with a, a lot of new research or new to me at the time. Sure. Um, and really began to understand the need to evolve the field in a much more holistic direction and mm-hmm. to work not only with the mind as I had been doing, but really to include the body and a lot of the ways we are dysregulated mm. um, that are keeping us stuck as I continue to see week after week. Mm. Let's talk about some of those ways that we're stuck. I thought maybe since ours is a listener driven show, let's dive into some questions. Ryan, you wanna read Patty's question to, to kick us off here? Sure, Patty writes in, how do you start on a path to healing and commit to it when your motivation is almost nil? So, so I think this is the, the how-to thing, yeah. which, Again, smitten with prescriptions, we all want to know how to do something, but also it does start with that knowledge or the understanding that there is a problem, right? Well, I think what's important to hear for Patty and other listeners who have a similar question understand is that as humans, we're not actually wired to change. Mm. We have a very um, distinct drive to stay in those familiar patterns. So I say that. that Um, Our subconscious really is based on the principle of keeping us safe. It's very safety driven. And Mm. unfortunately, according to our subconscious, safety is the familiar, the path I've been down before. This is where it's very counterintuitive. It's not Mm. because for many of us and listeners are probably sitting here, well, the paths I've been down have only carried negative consequences. However, according to my subconscious, that's much safer than the unknown, than the path I have yet to explore. So we become locked, again, reliving habits and patterns which don't serve us. And the reason why I'm answering in this way to Patty's question is because so many of us do wait for motivation to change. Mm. We wait to be inspired. We wait to, you know, one day hit the ground running and want to do all of these things differently. Mm -hmm. And when we don't, when we're inevitably, as we often are, met with resistance, either the million thoughts of why we shouldn't, why today's not the right day to do all of these new things. Mm -hmm. Some of us, it's a feeling. We feel agitated, we feel uncomfortable. We just don't feel like ourselves. So before you know it, we're right back living Mm -hmm. into those familiar patterns. So to Patty, to everyone out there who's waiting to want to change or to feel inspired in a Mm -hmm. deep way or to even have the energy to do it, um, I'm here to suggest that that not, might not be the case. It's how do we create action when we don't have the motivation yet? Yeah, I, I think a piece of it too with uh, you know us getting stuck in these patterns, it's, it also has to do with uh, reserving our energy too, right? Like your body is, you know, for all intents and purposes, we are all really, really lazy beings. <laughs> like our bodies want to do things the easiest way. But um, I'll tell you one thing that helped me with just different changes that I wanted to make in my life when I had no motivation or even inspiration. It was, you know, almost accepting, like with working out, I would accept the fact that it might be a really bad workout. I may not do it properly. I may not have the right form. Um, You know, whatever it is, I'm going to fail in some way. That used to prevent me from taking action because I was worried about not doing it correctly. But then when I realized is if I can embrace that failure, it's like anything else. You practice it enough and then you start to get good at it. And then, you know, that kind of, uh, that will motivate you more and more as you start to see some improvement. So I think, you know, Patty needs to really 
be prepared to fail, you know, yeah. and, and that's okay. But taking action is really the important part here. And I think maybe reframing that failure is what you've been really good at, Ryan, is, is understanding that, you know, I, I teach a writing class, how to write better. And in there, the thing I talk about is the words are never as perfect on the page as they are on your head, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it, and you have experienced this. I mean, in writing a book, it's like, of course, the concepts, they're always, it's always perfect before you've taken any action at all. But of course, then it's utterly imperfect because there's nothing there. It's not mm -hmm. what you're even trying to do anyway, right? And so there, there's a sort of the fear of taking action because it's never going to be as perfect as, as you want it to be. Yeah. Is that yeah. fair? Absolutely, and I, I can resonate. I was smiling, Ryan, when you were saying that. I'm someone who, unless I know I'm going to win, I historically don't like to play. <laughs> I'm I mean, glad I'm not the only that's one. That's <laughs> just the truth of the matter. And so very yeah. much I would have those rehearsals come to the conclusion that maybe I wasn't going to be perfect at this thing. And mm -hmm. at the first sign of that imperfection, I very much was the person who would want to throw in the towel. You also brought up yeah. a really important physiological aspect of this. It is down to our calories. Our brain already as an organ needs the most of our calories that we eat intake in any given day. Mm. So our, from a caloric standpoint, when we're coasting in that autopilot, we're actually conserving our resources mm -hmm. in a very real way. Mm. So physiologically, we are very lazy animals <laughs> yeah. um, because we prefer to spend our attention elsewhere and to spend, again, our calories elsewhere. So if we can coast as mm -hmm. our brain prefers to do, we then free up our resources. So that yeah. is why as we begin to create change, I'll often hear and experience exhaustion. Right. It's incredibly tiring to fire up my brain in a new way, to be consciously present, to not be coasting on that auto autopilot. Yeah, that in itself is just a hard obstacle for anyone. I, I really like the writing uh, uh, that you brought up, the writing class, because your big thing, Millie, is to get that crappy first draft out of the way. Yeah. And it's it is. Anne Lamontism. SFD, she calls it. <laughs> and it is. It's, it's, it's a. That first draft is always going to be crappy. Have you ever, like, written, you know, 10,000 words and not changed one of those words? Right. It, it, never, right? Yeah. And, and the reason being is. In fact, I'm more of like a nine draft kind of person. I, and I realized that recently with our, our new book that's come out, Love People Use Things. I finally thought I had it because this is our fifth book and uh, fourth together. And I was like, okay, finally have this. It's one done, maybe a second draft. And by the time, okay, fourth or fifth draft. And no, of course, it was still nine drafts by the end of it. And, and I realized like, oh, this is just part of the process. I could look at... I could reframe it as, oh, those eight failures. Well, mm -hmm. no, it was eight steps to get to where I wanted to be. That, that's all it was. It took a little bit longer. The path was more circuitous. Mm -hmm. But of course, isn't that where all the exploration is anyway? Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like if, if people can get comfortable with the process mm -hmm. rather than focusing on the results, the results will come. Mm -hmm. But that process is really, that's the, the piece that, if you can get comfortable with, then yeah, the results will follow. I think it's tricky though, right? Yeah. Because we also want to have a destination in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because, you know, when I left my apartment this morning and I walked in here to the studio, mm -hmm. uh, 
Yes, I could say it's all about the journey, but I also had a destination in mind. I was walking mm-hmm. here specifically, mm-hmm. right? And I could have been, well, wherever I end up, I end up. Well, that would also screw me up as well. So understanding where we're going to go yeah. and the journey mm-hmm. is also, I, I think it's almost like uh, they're equally important in a way. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think they are equally important, and I think choice really becomes the, the important component here. Right, making a choice when we're paying attention to our future goal and when we're grounding ourselves in the moment and creating space for both. Yeah. Having the moments, whether it's you know planning or journaling or however we prioritize what our goals are. Mm. Some of us even like to break them down, right? 10-year goals, five-year goals, year goals. Mm. Having the long view of future, though then in the moment, grounding ourselves in the moment. Okay, mm-hmm. what step can I take now? How present can I be to what's happening here and now mm-hmm. that will build me to that place? So it's mm-hmm. kind of being able to use that pivot. Mm-hmm. And I'll speak as someone who only really always had my eyes on that hypothetical doneness place that yes. I've been endlessly searching for where mm-hmm. all of my boxes are checked and right. I can relax. You're, you're a completist just like Ryan I and can, I are. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of us are. Yeah. I think a lot of us culturally, I think we got a lot of messaging from a very early age of overemphasis on doing, even mm-hmm. doing in terms of our thoughts, our thinking mind, this idea of just sitting you know, in peace is, is not productive in some way. So yeah. some of us, even if we're not physically doing around our environments, we're mentally doing all of the time. Mm -hmm. For a lot of us, that is a future-based thought process. And yes, we are humans, we are gifted with that ability. I mean, one of the main separations of us and animals is that ability to view our past, to Mm -hmm. troubleshoot what maybe didn't work, to even plan for a future that's different. Mm -hmm. Yet I think a lot of us fall into that trap of too much doing, too much seeking. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do I find that space where I have my eyes on a goal and I can still be grounded in the present to get me to that goal? And that goal or arrival or whatever we want to call it, it, can either be empowering or disempowering depending on what it is. Like when I walked into the studio this morning, if the walk was 1,700 miles, <laughs> I would have just thrown my hands up in the air and say, oh, look, I, this is unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's whatever it is, a mile and a half, two miles. And it's like, oh, I can do that because it is, then it is, okay, what do I need to do in this moment in order to arrive? We have another question here from Lottie in Washington, D.C. Do you have any advice If you're interested in a minimalist lifestyle, but your significant other is not. Personally, clutter stresses me out, and that's one of our biggest fighting points is I prefer a clean and clutter-free house, and he prefers to hang on to things. So, Nicole, if if I were to rephrase this question in a way that's applicable to everyone, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are obviously listening for the whole minimalism aspect and the clutter, and we think it starts with the stuff. Our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us quite often. There's a lot of internal clutter that we're dealing with. Mm. And so I want to talk to you about some of that internal clutter. So if I rephrase the question, it's how do I work with someone I love to adjust our lifestyle preferences so I can attain and maintain mental peace? Mm. And so there, that's really what we're talking about here is there's a lack of peace because there is some there's some tension in the household, right? And it doesn't, it's not always around stuff. It can be around any number of things. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. I get this question too a lot, Joshua, in the context of 
someone being inspired to start a healing journey. And the similar then question that follows is what do I do if my partner Mm -hmm. seems resistant, isn't on board, is doing their own thing Mm -hmm. or whatever version of that is. So now you sometimes hear it manifested as how do I force my partner to have my (laughs) same exact ideals? So the first response to this is exploring what what we really mean, Mm because a lot of us, that is our intention is how do I create change? But really, how do I make someone else change how do I and as someone Lottie if that is was that her name yes Lottie so Lottie I will say I'm the first person to resonate with your experience I am so energetically sensitive my space in my apartment really does affect me and Mm. my partner um, so happens to sound like your partner who seems a little less sensitive to the environment um, and therefore when there are items around I tend to be the one that falls and feels agitated about that. So I'm speaking from very much resonance, um, and I know how much our spaces can affect us. However, I also understand what our intention sometimes is. And Mm. sometimes it's, I want my partner to clean up, to live in an environment that reflects my preferences. So Mm. how do I find that middle ground? Um, So it is finding that middle ground, finding the spaces, finding the activities, finding how you can clear up your mess, whether it's figuratively in the space, maybe having designated areas um, for perhaps your life or your living or areas where your partner can put their stuff, Mm. um, keeping it out of your space. So you can be practical in terms of localizing things like of that nature. I think that can be really helpful. Mm. Um, But I think what we really want to explore is what do we mean? Can we find a middle ground? It often isn't exactly the way we envisioned we want it. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is finding that negotiation. And sometimes it can be sifting out space. Here's where your stuff can live, where I can have my moment of peace. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding that we can't fully change someone completely, even if we would like to. (laughs) One of the things that Ryan and I often say is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Meaning, of course, you can't force someone to change, but you can also surround yourself with loving, supportive people who have similar preferences as you. Now, what I'm not suggesting to Lottie here is, well, then, you know, (laughs) dump the bastard and move on (laughs) because he's, you know, full of clutter and that's the wrong way to live. Uh, I just want you to understand that that there is a price of admission in any any relationship. And if I were to, you know, if my wife decided, hey, I've, you know, I've I've decided to become a maximalist. And uh, uh, okay, well then now all of a sudden I have a decision to make. I either because I, I can't change you, and but, nor would I want to adjust your preferences mm. to to map onto mine. That's that's dragging someone in your direction. And of course, I don't want to drag her in my direction. If you get dragged, that's not loving at all. That's mm. clinging, attachment. It's the opposite of love. And so uh, the price of admission would be okay. Can I tolerate this? Can I? respect and appreciate this, mm-hmm. or is this not a price I'm willing to pay? And if it's not a price to willing, I'm willing to pay, then I need, need to be willing to have that difficult conversation as well. Yeah. I hear Lottie asking us, how do I get my partner to support me? How do I get my partner to show me respect? Yes. And the best way to do that, Lottie, is if you go out of your way to support your partner and show your partner respect, like they're going to give that back to you. Um, what she did say in the question was, is how they fight. And it takes two people to fight. Ah. It's not just one person. Yes. So, you know, Lottie, if you catch yourself fighting, um, just show your partner that you love and respect him by taking a step back and de-escalating. But if you're escalating it um, and fighting, that's certainly not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We have a question here from Bonnie. You want to read that one, Ryan? Yes. I think this one's from Facebook. 
How do you forgive others and yourself and move forward when a loved one passes suddenly and you feel you haven't had a chance to tell them everything you needed to? And how do you forgive others that you feel treated that person terribly in life and let go of the anger toward them? This, Nicole, mm. this one is fascinating to me because forgiving others and yourself and move on when a loved one passes suddenly. You know, my mom didn't pass suddenly, but she died over a eight month period. She had stage four cancer. And, um, you know, I think we sort of came to a detente at the end, but yeah, there are certain, there are regrets there. So maybe mm. we could talk about that in, in respect to Bonnie's question here. Forgiveness and I think regret go hand in hand a lot. Um, I think the first thing to explore is what what does forgiveness mean? What is the definition of that? I think we all have different definitions of what mm -hmm. forgiveness is. Um, my definition of forgiveness has to do a lot with acceptance, mm -hmm. um, accepting what was. Doesn't uh. mean we have to feel positive about what was. Um, mm -hmm. We can still retain how we felt about what had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, what goes into acceptance for me and can be really helpful in answering this question is awareness of the other human and their mm. possible limitations around their own conditioning. Mm. I talk a lot about intergenerational patterns. My understanding is that we are very much limited by the people who came before us, by the tools they had, by the resources they had, by what they mm. were able to model for us and, and experience with us in often relationship with mm. us. And the truth of the matter for most of us is we were raised with people, with caregivers that had their own limitations. Yeah. So for me, when I explore the concept of forgiveness, it means making space for that awareness, that empathy, mm -hmm. that understanding that this thing might have hurt me in my past, whatever he or she did or didn't do, I can feel hurt by that. And mm -hmm. over time, perhaps I can expand to understand what caused that, what their own past was like. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that doesn't necessarily mean I end up feeling positively. And it doesn't even mean, of course, this isn't in the context of this question, if the person were living, mm -hmm. that also doesn't mean I carry on a relationship right. with mm. this person. So yeah. getting clear on what forgiveness is for each of us, mm. because again, I think we get confused at what we mean. And some of us believe that forgiveness means we have to just be over it entirely. And right. there's many ways we're not over it. We can still feel about it. Mm -hmm. We can still accept the limitations and still choose again to modify relationship. So yeah. the answer is, is some version of that. Yeah. For a lot of us, it's an internal process of forgiving. Uh -huh. um, and again, some of it does begin with us forgiving ourselves first, yeah. us looking at perhaps the role we played with the human that we lost or whatever is that we're looking for forgiveness around. Right. A lot of us have to grant ourselves that first. Yeah. And I say that knowing a lot of us are very critical of ourselves mm. and we don't actually let ourselves off the hook that some of us can do so much more easily for another. So a lot of times self and other forgiveness really do go hand in hand. Totally. I'm reminded of uh, Matt Nathanson line. I'd, I would kill anyone who treats you as bad as I do. Yeah. And yeah. I, I often feel that about myself. The way, if, if, if someone was as critical of me as I am of me, <laughs> I would not spend an hour around that person. Yeah. And yet I have oh, to wow. spend 24 hours with this person <laughs> every single day. Now, That's Ryan, the second point. part of this question had to do with, with anger, right? Mm. Letting go of anger. And I think maybe you could also say letting go of sadness. That's part of the pattern as well, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I like, I like what uh, you were saying, Nicole, about acceptance. Because the way you described it, it wasn't good or bad. It just is. And I think if 
someone can work towards that piece of it. And I think they get there through what you talked about, through a little bit of uh, empathy or maybe compassion. Um, it made me think of Rob Bell. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rob Bell. He's he's an uh, awesome, awesome, uh, I don't know, philosopher, I'll call him. He used to be a preacher. But anyway, he has this thing where he talks about, you know, everyone around you is fighting their own battle. Everyone. So if you could, you know, look at that person that you're angry at, and instead of trying to feel positive about them, you could at least stop feeling so negative about them if you maybe accept the fact that they're fighting their own battle. And, and you may not even know the battle that they're fighting. So trying to, uh, again, accept, which is neither good or bad, um, I think that's a huge piece of that. The, w- the one thing I'll say, too, about um, yourself and feeling like you didn't say everything you needed to say and you know now, now uh, Bonnie is beating herself up. Like I, th- I think about like so with Josh and I. Let's say that you were a complete asshole to me. I mean, you are a complete asshole too. No, this is true. <laughs> right. So let's say you were a complete asshole to me, and I died. Right, and I'm mm-hmm. up in heaven, and I'm watching you, you know, mourn or whatever. And you start uh-huh. to beat yourself up uh-huh. over um, being an a hole. Uh-huh. Like what I would really wish for Josh is two things. One, be kind to yourself. Like that's the best thing that I think Bonnie can do is first, like, like you said, Josh, like be kind to yourself. Don't treat yourself poorly. And then the second thing is I would love to see Josh start to maybe other people that he's being an a-hole with. Maybe he reverses that and he starts to uh, use the time that he has left to change the behaviors. Cause I think about that with like with my wife, for example, who is alive. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, but, but I can, you know, I can still see with her where there are, things that I've done that have hurt her and whether it was, um, an argument or, you know, whatever, like I'm, you know, I'd love to sit here and say I'm perfect, but I'm not. And I used to beat myself up for that. But kind of what I tell myself is like, look, you still have a long relationship with, with Mariah. So use that time and do what you wish you would have done, you know, up to that point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So acting different to others, even though, you know, maybe that loved one has passed away, you can still use that, as an example or uh, as a lesson to help you treat others differently moving forward and spend the time and say the things that you need to say to yeah. those. And one, one other Rob Bell-ism for you, he talks about echoing what Nicole just said, sometimes the best way to love someone is from a distance. Yeah. And so because you've forgiven someone, as you say, does and if they're still around, it doesn't mean that we have to continue to have the same relationship with them. In fact, we don't have to have any close relationship with them at all, especially if it's a toxic relationship. They may be toxic. You may be toxic. It could just be that it's two perfectly non-toxic people and the chemical reaction of them together mm. causes some sort of chemical or toxic explosion. Mm. Uh, and and it's just, it doesn't go together very well. But before we wrap up this question, can we talk to Bonnie about letting go of anger? Yeah, letting go of anger. Anger comes up a lot um, and is very understandable. Um, something I wanted to just add on to this piece that applies here too. A lot of times we're having a feeling because we're assigning a meaning, a very personalized meaning. Someone didn't love me enough, so they didn't show up in this way. So whether, again, we're talking about anger or this whole conversation around forgiveness, the reason why I think about you know um, lineages and, and um, limitations that are passed on to us is because it often isn't personal. Even when I'm having a reaction that could be very, like I 
am also not perfect. I say things I don't mean. I do things I don't mean when I'm having an emotional reaction to something. In that moment, it is the far, it's not about the person that I'm typically projecting on who mm. happens to be my loved ones, my partner who I'm screaming at or yeah. right, ranting about <laughs> or you know, too in that moment. It's really not about her in right. the moment. It's about some older pain that's been unearthed. Mm. A lot of times, same thing applies with anger. When we're feeling angry, yeah, it might be projected, triggered, activated by something that someone did. Though I think for many of us, if we really dive into it and understand, there's something deeper going on. For yeah. anger, it's typically an unmet need yes. um, that's gone unmet for quite some time. Yeah. So again, depersonalizing, um, pu- being able to pull back. For some of us, that creates the space to have another feeling, mm. to have anger or grief and compassion or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For others, it's learning how to navigate our emotions, any mm. emotion entirely. Because mm. what a lot of us do, and I talk about it in the book, um, a lot of us make emotions mental events. I mean, some of us make them mental matinees, um, lifetime events mm. like that go on for years. Mm-hmm. We don't allow emotions to just live in our body as mm. they do. Emotions are energy, they're hormonal shifts and changes, they end. However, what a lot of us are doing, especially with anger, we have a reaction of anger and then we bring it up to our mind and we begin to stew or ruminate about what made us angry, whether it happened now or 25 years ago. Mm. And then we live that scenario on in our mind, Mm -hmm. continuing to expand then the duration of anger or Mm. insert really any feeling. So when we're learning to navigate, as many of us need to do into adulthood, we need to cultivate emotional resilience, cultivate the ability to navigate our emotions. I know I had zero ability. I lived so disconnected from any of my emotions mm-hmm. that dropping into my body and being able to be with my feelings as physiological events was a practice mm-hmm. in and of itself. And if we can break that habit of telling ourselves stories about our emotions and essentially living in them, many of us can give ourselves the opportunity to have a feeling tolerate it and then allow it to release yes the first step in letting go is to stop clinging you you can tweet that podcast sean but i I think the 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 understander maybe anthony DeMello would say that if you you're not an angry person you're not an angry person it's anger appears and i think we have a hard time uncoupling the anger from the individual right meaning I am angry. No, 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 I'm not angry. Anger has arisen within me. Mm. And once I've uncoupled that, I'm able to not cling to that anymore. I'm able to see that for what it is. Yes, anger has appeared. Mm. And it appears as though it is inextricable for me, but I know it's not because three minutes ago I wasn't angry or three days ago or whatever it is, I wasn't angry. Mm. And so understanding that allows us to drop it, not prescriptively, here are the three steps to let go of your anger, but in a sense that once I understand the anger, I will, it's like um, a snake crawling on me. I don't need the three-step manual to (laughs) fling it off of me as soon as it crawls onto me. I simply will notice the snake and immediately will drop it, let it, you know, get it off of me. And I don't need, I don't need to understand the, the how-to. It's simply, as soon as I understand it's there, the how-to will take care of itself. Mm. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions or comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. 
Now, Nicole, you might remember this. During the lightning round, we answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response, but not really. We just maunder on a bit until we find something that is uh, tweetable. Podcast Sean puts these minimal maxims in the show notes so we can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like to do that. Oh, by the way, you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now. It's called minimalmaxims.com. Ryan, we have a question from Jennifer. Are there types of bodywork that address the body slash mind connection together? Or are there types of psychotherapy that address the mind slash body connection in tandem? Bodies hold memories in movements and in holding patterns and sitting on a couch and talking doesn't address that. Hmm. Fascinating question. What are your thoughts? Um, so yes, there are <laughs> a lot of body work that we can do and I believe we need to do. Um, breath work is my number mm. one go-to yeah. to help us for, do two things. First and foremost, drop into our body to learn how to be consciously embodied. Mm. Uh, many are like myself, very disconnected from our physical body, not attuned to its signals, may not even be aware there's emotions happening, mm. everything I'm talking about. Um, for a very long time for me was lost on me because I felt very flat. I wasn't feeling anxious, I wasn't really feeling much of anything. Mm. Um, so for me, it, it really meant cultivating that conscious awareness of my body. So breath work, again, utilizing our breath as our focal point for our attention helps us drop into our body. Yeah. And then of course, we can begin to intentionally breathe in different patterns to help regulate our body mm -hmm. because most of us um, need to do body work mm -hmm. um, as part of our healing journey because we're living in a very dysregulated body, particularly around our nervous system. So mm -hmm. the final part of that answer is I'm hopeful and a reason why I talk about holistic psychology and the need for the field to evolve is my hope that there comes a time in the very near future where all practitioners are working with the body in mind. Mm -hmm. I think a large reason why myself and so so many of my clients were so disempowered for so long is because we haven't been talking about the body mm. um, in the mental health field. We've only been talking really about the mind. Mm. And I think it's all becoming very clear to a lot of us that that's only part of the story. So my hope mm. um, is that practitioners everywhere will start to, to learn some new body work modalities to help us heal um, our very dysregulated systems. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about your breath work in the book. And the yeah, I think that it, if you don't understand the the power because it almost sounds cliche like of course i breathe every day i breathe every minute of every day have you right? done breath work yourself oh yeah yeah and and the wim hof stuff is it's crazy we, we actually had wim hof on our, we did a youtube video with him put a link to that in the show notes uh sean if you don't mind uh but we we did it as soon as if i don't do it for a few days and i go back to it you instantly realize like how powerful the breath is now it doesn't have to be something as extreme it's not even really extreme what he does but like it is extreme relative to my normal breathing which is tends to be shallow and not very focused and i i, I my wife often like looks at me she's like breathe like <laughs> what are you doing and it's like oh, oh yeah i'm not breathing but yeah. but i am but i'm just not breathing effectively or i'm not getting the amount of oxygen but you do some wim hof just don't do it while you're driving you might pass out <laughs> right you, you you do that type of breath work but then there's obviously a bunch of other modalities that that you can embark on i've got a, a quick pithy yeah. answer for our show notes here understanding is the only road that leads to lasting change so if I were to expand on that, I would say to change the how must follow the why. Mm. So action is fine, but if we just randomly take aimless action, you're not going to get anywhere. Like again, if I had left my, my apartment this morning and I'm just going to find somewhere to go, 
uh, and I, you know what? I'm going to take a ton of action. I'll start running in a direction. I might be running in the wrong direction uh, in terms of I'm not going to arrive where I want to arrive. So understanding first, that leads to the action. Then the action becomes, you know, once you understand, like, okay, breath work will help me, then you can find the modality that works best for you. Yeah. I think maybe the best way to sum that up is like when you're on a journey, you've got where you are, mm-hmm. you've got where you're going, and then you have the how you're going to get there. Mm. And it's important to have that balance between uh, those, those things. Um, the breathing, I just want to encourage our listeners who have not tried any breath work, it is an instant energy shift. So um, I'm sure you could find some stuff on YouTube real easily, just you know, a five-minute breathing exercise. I did this like 45-minute class one time, and I thought I was in outer space. Like <laughs> It was unbelievable. But it was incredibly empowering. Well, if you have two minutes, try the Wim Hof. Just check out the video we did with him or any of his other videos. Yeah. And if you want to dive deeper, of course, you can check out uh, how to do the work. There's a lot more in terms of... Um, body work beyond just breath work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my pithy answer is this. Uh, this is an oldie but a goodie. The mind and body are separate, but both are standing in the same room. So, you know, the couch, the therapy on its own, yeah, I agree. That's probably not going to f- solve the problem. Taking action without knowing what you're taking ac- action towards, that's not going to solve the problem. You have to, again, find that balance between where you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, maybe I would look at, at the, the mind and body being, they, they, I mean, they, they, your mind is part of your body, right? But the, it's, we, we, do, we tend to separate it, especially in our society, our culture. We treat it as though they're standing in separate corners of the room even, right? Yeah, right. So it's like, well, I got my mind over here, my, my body over here, and there's no overlap whatsoever. It's like, well, no, of course. My, my mind is part mm-hmm. of my brain you know, or whatever, but it's also, it's part of me. It's all it's all tangled together yeah and if you're changing one you're changing the other yeah i think it's important to also honor the uniqueness in each of us because a lot of us do look outside right we run around in circles based on what everyone else is doing what Mm -hmm. everyone else has has worked for what everyone else um so i think in the process of this conversation it's also being attuned to what is working for my body what is working for my mind what works for me and that's why i was always really hesitant around in the field, this idea of a one-size model, a one-size gold standard, CBT working for everyone. Mm-hmm. I just never really felt we all fit into a basket like that. So mm-hmm. same applies here. And I still see a lot of us, even looking to people like myself, Nicole, what do you do day in and day out so mm-hmm. I can just follow what you do? Absolutely not. You, right. You're not in my body. My body might react completely different yeah. to the things that I'm doing than to what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So the caveat here is, finding that place within, finding, and that's why I you know, created the self-healers hashtag in and of itself to focus on the self. What does work for me? Mm-hmm. And to empower us all as individuals to find that pathway and not outsource. Because um, I've seen that that's another way we run around in circles based yeah. on, because now we have a million people online sharing their opinions. So yeah. we have a million protocols we could begin tomorrow if we so choose, mm-hmm. though we're quite unique. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and by the way, following that recipe is not going to get you the same results because there are a whole bunch of unquantifiables as well. Even if you, Nicole, followed your recipe, you wouldn't get the same results because there are a lot of other intricacies and you know it's the sort of butterfly effect of all the relationships and, and acculturation that's gone on in your life that has led you to where you are. Part of that has to do with the recipe, the step-by-step thing. But if it's not if you followed it and this wouldn't work for you, of course it's not going to work for someone else 
uh, exactly the same way that it works for you. Mm-hmm. And so that, but that's the beauty of a recipe. You can tweeze out the ingredients that yes. do work and mm-hmm. create your own. You, know, you can adjust for taste, so to speak. Yeah, there's something about that the couch work too, because I I have done a lot of therapy in my life, and it's almost like they can help you put together a recipe to try out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, going and seeing a therapist without doing the work that's involved after you talk to your therapist, even if it's just a perspective shift. I mean, the best therapists that I've had, they just help me look at something a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And then when I ruminate, I focus on that perspective that they helped helped me get. So um, yeah, couch work is great, but it has to be coupled with, yes. with action. And I think the best couch work, so to speak, will sort of force action in a way because if it delivers that understanding to you for example if you read how to do the work and from that you get a deeper more profound understanding then the how-to begins to appear before you 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 begin to understand okay there are some tips and things in here but i once i have that understanding i know what direction in which i need to walk to move ahead we got a bunch more to talk about but first ryan what do you got for us here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners check them out Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Molly from Michigan. What we do is we will buy things on trips that aren't stereotypical souvenirs. They're more everyday type items. So, for example, on our honeymoon in Ireland, my husband bought a tweed jacket. And it's great. He wears it in the fall. He wears it in the spring. It's a perfect jacket for that time when it's just a little too cold for a sport coat, but it's too warm for a big pea coat, a big puffy down coat. And it, it really fits a spot in his wardrobe, and he was able to buy something there that's unusual, not the kind of thing that you would get here. And then every time he wears it, it reminds him of our trip but it's not just from Chachki. Hi, this is Zena calling from the Channel Islands in the UK. I just wanted to give some advice to anyone who might be planning their wedding. I'm currently in the stages of planning ours, and as you probably know, it can get expensive very quickly. So we're looking at different ways that we can reduce the costs. And we were discussing our wedding rings and basically I have some old jewellery that I no longer wear and I was looking at how I could let these go. So an idea that we had was to trade in this old jewellery I no longer wear to reduce the cost of the wedding rings. And we managed to reduce it by about £20 by trading in this old jewellery, which I know it doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but every little helps. And it was a really nice way of letting go of some old jewellery and putting the money towards something meaningful towards our future. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Nicole for joining us today. We have a bunch more surprise questions for her this week on the Minimalist Private Podcast. But in the meantime, make sure you check out her book. It's called How to Do the Work. Love the subtitle, Ryan. Recognize your patterns, heal from your past, and create yourself. Yeah. You can also find her online. She has a brand new website, theholisticpsychologist.com. Follow her on Instagram as well. We'll put a link to her Instagram and her YouTube channel 
on our podcast show notes because uh, she has a thriving community in both places on mm. Instagram and on YouTube, The Holistic Psychologist. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Ryan, it is time for our annual performance review. All right. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> You remember those? All right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with annual performance reviews, uh, you know, in in some corporations, virtually every corporation, yeah, they have you do an annual performance review. So when you're on the bottom run, it's really easy because you just have to do it for yourself. You have to like reflect on how your year was, and then you go see your boss, and then your boss tells you, you know, they reflect with you, agree with you, or disagree with you, whatever. When you're managing 150 retail stores uh-huh. <laughs> and you're managing those managers, there's a lot of performance reviews. Yeah. And that was probably like the, you might have liked it because there was a lot of writing involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was the kind of writing, that was the writing I had to do, didn't get to do. Yeah. yeah the, the, but what we're asking for today is we don't do this. You hear most people, they do a podcast about make sure you like and subscribe. You're never going to hear me tell, tell you to like and subscribe to anything. <laughs> subscribe if you want. Yeah. I, if you don't want to, then don't. Mm-hmm. But one thing that does help us, and we, we tend to ask for this once a year, that's why I'm calling it our annual performance review. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts, mm. and you can leave us whatever you think a fair rating is, and also write a review that does help us in the algorithms. It helps us reach more people. So we don't ask for this every episode like everyone else does. Every other podcast you listen to, they give you 14 different advertisements, and then they also ask you to go out of your way to rate them every single episode. Yeah. We don't do it. We do it once or twice a year. We'll ask you, hey. In fact, last year, I don't know we did it at all last year. So. Yeah. If you haven't rated us on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen to this on Apple Podcasts, that's mm-hmm. okay. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a, a star rating, however many stars you think we're worth. Mm-hmm. If it's five stars, that's wonderful. We just want an honest rating. Yes. And, and, and then leave us a review. What do you love about the show? Because if you think other people will get value from the show, then please. That's one of the best ways to support us. So give us our annual performance review applepodcast.com slash the minimalist we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well real quick ryan for our added value segment this Mm -hmm. week one of my favorite albums from a a couple years ago is this gal she goes by the name the japanese house that's like her stage name she had a phenomenal album a few years ago i think it was my my top album when i do the in year-end review Mm -hmm. and she just put out a new ep the ep is called chewing cotton wool Mm -hmm. and it's sort of ethereal but it's also ruminative contemplative music is maybe the way I would describe it. Mm. Let's listen to the title track from that new EP. It's called Chewing Cotton Wool. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like how do I break the habit of rumination? How do I alleviate my anxiety? How do you make peace with the past? How does one stop self-sabotaging? And what's the 90-second rule? plus three ways to set boundaries and a million more questions for Nicole. And if you want to hear all that, join The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. That's right. Visit theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive any new minimalist writings that we write 
for free right there in your inbox. You know what we won't send you? Spam. <laughs> you send me Kansas spam all the time. <laughs> USPS. Can I admit something? No. I'm going to admit it anyway. Do it. I freaking love spam. <laughs> I love me some fried spam. I haven't had it in so long, but it's like fried bologna, but better. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to be forced to eat it is the thing. Exactly. And that's what e- email inbox spam is. Mm. It's it's taking something that you might enjoy and it's cramming it down your throat. Mm. We're never going to do that to you. So sign up only if you think you'll get value. By the way, if you do join us on our private podcast this week, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. And it keeps our show 100% advertisement free. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters who support us over there. And if you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. She's everywhere.